Hey, this episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by MXR Bass Innovations. MXR has been a leader in guitar effects for over 45 years. MXR Bass Innovations creates bass effects pedals from the ground up, each one specifically designed for bass players by bass players. Not repurposed guitar pedals, but their overdrive, fuzz, EQ, preamp DI, octave, distortion, compressor, or chorus, these tried and true stomp boxes are designed by Dunlop's award-winning team of bassists and engineers. Go to jimdunlop.com and check out MXR Bass Innovations for your bass effects. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. This is the place for all of us bass freaks to chat it up, gain a little insight and inspiration, and have some fun with some great bass players. I'm your host, Josh Paul, and today we welcome Tim LeFave to the show, and he is one of my faves. Uh, sorry about the pun. <laughs> I'm, so sure you, I'm sure you've heard that before. Um, dude, I was so worried about mispronouncing your name. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um because well, I, I thought it was going to be like, I thought it was going to be like, um, what was that movie? Oh, there's something about Mary. You know, when Ben Stiller is trying to pronounce Brett Favre. Right. And he's right. like, Brett Favre. Well, so, you know, you know, it's a little side note about that. First of all, the fact that you're even worried about it is amazing because nobody's really ever worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no, my, my uncle is in that movie. My uncle's a stand up comic from Boston. Are you serious? Yeah, so he's the policeman who comes to the window when when uh, Ben Stiller zips his nuts up. In the, in the <laughs> <laughs> right? That's one of my favorite parts, man. That's the best. And then, yeah, because because you know my uncle's kind of a legend comedian in Boston, so like he um, he's not kind of a legend. He is a le- like 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 Rogan and, and Bill Burr used to open for him. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. what's his yeah, name? Steve Sweeney. Steve Sweeney, right yeah. on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's how, that's that whole thing. Anyway. But Sorry. yeah, so I mean, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, at least looking at it right now, the way you spell your last name or the way that your last name is spelled is very interesting. Where you, where is that, uh, is, what is the uh, origin of that, do you think? That's, it's French Canadian. Okay. So yeah, I mean, my, my dad's family's all from like around Montreal. So, and then, nice. you know, I'm half Irish from Boston too, which is, you know, <laughs> its own, its own uh, bag of, uh, of other of baggage, bag of baggage. Right, man. Well, I am stoked, seriously, to have you on here. You're one of my favorite uh, players. Thank you. I, I love. Uh, back at you. Back at uh, you 100%. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Um, So let's talk about some of the stuff that you have done. I want to talk about David Bowie because I've been listening to that uh, Black Star record. And I'm a huge fan of David Bowie and your tone on there and the feel. And I love it sounded like you were thinking like I said a little bit earlier outside the box and of your approach to it. Can you, uh, can you fill us in? Yeah, sure. I mean, some, some of it was actually, um, like at least half the tunes were like straight up from the demos from what David, David did demos at his house, you know, between, you know, um, because he was pretty sick at the time. So he couldn't go out much. So he was writing a lot from his house. Got you. Um, so he uh, he just so like tunes like um, uh, "Tis a Pity She's a Whore." That's that's his baseline. I just added some spice here and there. Yeah, uh, a girl loves me. It's kind of his thing. Um, uh, what else? <sighs> Can't give everything away. But the rest of it, you know, like like a lot of it. Uh, also, Lazarus. Lazarus was uh, Tony Visconti's like like demo baseline, and I just kind of took it a few places, but not not too far. Okay. So yeah, there was some there was some places there was room to do stuff and there was room to not do stuff. So the room, mm-hmm. the places where I had room to do stuff, I mean there was room to do stuff on everything really. Yeah. Um, but but even Mark Giuliano, I'll tell you, like like a lot of the beats he was playing on that record were program beats. The the they were they were from David's demos. Okay. So, yeah. So like so we all kind of in some cases stuck to the demo and then other times you know. So take Black Star for instance, that track. I mean, it's got it's kind of an epic thing. It's like kind of this slow, morbid thing, and 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 then the middle part that's sort of the, the release, the happy release, and then it goes back into the dark part. So you know that was like to me, like what I was drawing from on those on those things were like you know the first half of it, I was just thinking kind of like I put the octave pedal on and did like Tony Levin-y kind of stuff, like you know like don't give up, like 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 stuff from totally. like, just like sliding around, like making big notes, and then then the middle part. You know where he starts saying it's kind of the R and B changes and stuff, and like gets kind of weird and and, and kind of funky. Um, I was totally thinking Herbie Flowers, like you know, um, um, Space Oddity, Justin Meldal Johnson, Beck kind of stuff. You know, just like playing yeah. 
I, I used to pick a lot on that record. It wasn't even really. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Do you typically do that, or is it? Uh, what do you What do you use mostly? Is it just whatever it calls for, or whatever the gig calls for, or whatever you, the tune is, or whatever you're feeling at the time? Yeah, it's sort of like, um, like, like I, you know, as we all know, like, like the Fender P bass with flat ones, like you know, play super simple is, you know, that's the default for everybody, and it's like sort of the, the thing. But I like to th- try to explore other kind of sounds, like 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 more vintagey kind of weirder. I did I did the like Ocean's Twelve soundtrack with David Holmes, and that awesome. made me yeah that was like because a lot of that was like, um, it just was like these old B movies Italian soundtracks, like just music you've done. It's so super obscure, but it's so cool. It's just like obviously like you know back then a lot of those bass players who were using those holly bodies and playing with a pick were just converted good guitar players, right? So right. They weren't like, you know, it wasn't like a James Jamerson thing. Like, so, so, uh, yeah. So like, I kind of got inspired by that aesthetic, if you will, you know, which is also led me to Beck and like all this other stuff. So like, I kind of, and if you listen to any indie rock, indie music at all, like a lot of it's picked hollow body or P bass picked, like this is the pick, picking is ubiquitous, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, when I did that thing for Scott's bass lessons, you know, I was on, I was on YouTube and like, and, and several people were complaining about the pick. I'm just like, man, have you put on the, the radio? <laughs> you know. uh, I guess they would be considered quote unquote purists. But I, my, my um, rebuttal to that is always, man, you got to just do whatever you're feeling at the time. I, I, I've said many times I'll play with a spoon if it works, if yeah. it's a vibe for the tune. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, to each their own, I, I say, yeah. um, right. But you, you caught a vibe for sure on all of that stuff. How do you, um, how do you make it your own? You know, you have your, like your, your little bag of tricks right at this age, you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm in my, my early fifties. So it's just like at this point, you know, I don't, I don't know how much new stuff I'm going to come up with, but you know, like, so I'm taking what I know. It's, it's basically just ownership of what you, of what you have already learned and, and know it's in, it's all in your encyclopedia in your head now. So it's just like, Oh, okay, maybe I'll pull out this. I mean, you know, like, like it's always, there's always like a McCartney. If you're playing with a pick or, or, you know, it's either like some kind of like, you know, mid two thousands, you know, like snow patrol, like that kind of picking base or, 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 you know, like uh, editors or something like that, which I got really into that phase for a second too. Or it's like, you know, Paul McCartney, like, you know, just like, okay, like, like stuff can dance around tracks sometimes when you're, you know, um, just, just for like little ideas. Um, but sometimes you like left to your own devices, which happens sometimes. Like, you know, if you get to, you're doing like seven or eight takes on a tune, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's takes seven or eight. So it's like, yeah, just try something different. And then you just, you know, sometimes that changes the whole vibe of the tune. It's just like, oh, this is completely different. It's still the core changes, but it's like something totally whack and like that, that they didn't even think of that. I didn't even think of. You just start, you know, kind of, kind of instincting it and, and just see what happens. You know what I mean? And sometimes they can grab a bar or two of that and put it in, put it in their, you know, their original idea. So has that happened to you? Is, was there a particular um, example that you might refer to where you were just like, let me just try this. And then it actually stuck. It's on the record. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Most recently, I, I did a thing at Sonic Ranch with Dovey Garza and uh, and Lucy Woodward, is an old friend of mine. And there was one tune. She had kind of a specific, you know, guitar, guitar and bassline. And 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 by the time we had done it like ten times, I was just like the last couple of times. I just they put on the they put on the, the the drum beat started, and I just kind of did started doing something totally different. And it was actually like everybody rolled with it. And so like you know, I don't know if it'll make the record or not, but I know that the vibe was cool and everybody did like it. So. Killer. Killer. Yeah, you know, just, just if you're kind of inventive, which I kind of naturally am, it's just like, you know, sometimes it's too much for people, but <laughs> yeah. no, you know, it's like, you know, there's always like a point. I mean, you think they hire you for you, but some, not always, you know, they, they want you to dial back and play what they played or whatever, you know, right, you, know the, right. you know the feeling. I do. I do. hundred <laughs> percent, man. That's awesome. Let's talk about some, well, before we move on from, from uh, the legend that is David Bowie, um, were you, was it a group? I know you said that he wasn't there for a lot of it, but um, did you get in as a group and play live, or was it just were you doing um, isolated takes? No, he was there, he was there the whole the whole time. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he, he we, they, they weren't long hours because you know 
he's a dignified gentleman. I don't think he does long hours anyway. Like even when he was doing next day or something like that, I think it's just, he's 11 to six and he's out. Right. And they, did all the, and they did all the, but he was there every day. Like, like really at, at that point, like he was sort of running the show more than Tony was. Tony took over afterwards, you know, like to do the post-production and, and do all David's vocals and stuff. So. Got it. That yeah. must've been a, an amazing experience. Oh, it's a trip. It's a trip. I mean, once you get over, to, oh my God, it's David Bowie. I mean, yeah, just, yeah. That factor. But once I don't think I could get over that part. Maybe <laughs> I, I really just stargazing. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> you know, but he's the kind of guy where, like, you can actually, after a certain point. I mean, yes, there's a certain point where you can actually just let it rip and be yourself, just in, in the room hanging out. You know, just like then. Then it started. You know, we started getting into insult fests and just you know, <laughs> it got hilarious. I mean, right? It was just like a normal <laughs> hang with somebody after a while. You know, even though it is David Bowie, right? Uh, you know, it yeah. became, became a cool. I'm sure I'm sure he appreciated that uh, aspect of it, too. It, you worked with so many, you know, huge artists and uh, some of your own experimental stuff as well. Um, what is your approach to your personality and, and getting along with people? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, actually, because that's kind of a big deal. You Absolutely. Want, yeah. You want to get there and be a tool because, you know, that's <laughs> I mean, you can, you can play as great, great as you want to. But like long term, that's not a good way to operate, I don't think. Yeah. What if it's the other way around? Giving if there's to someone or if there's someone that might be a little more difficult than you're used to working. How do you how do you approach that and how do you get by and make it successful? It depends on who that person is. Like, like it depends on like if that person is the music director, you know, like like the musical director of the band or whatever or. or um, yeah. Or or. or uh, but usually there's a buffer, right? Don't you think? Sometimes like there's a, there's a buffer between that person and you. Like, um, I'm trying to think. There's, there's been examples of like, you know, when I was doing a tour with, with, with Brian Adams, I did a tour with Brian Adams in 2016. And like one, one of the, you know, the first couple of gigs, like, cool. I was just kind of like, I was straddling the line of like in, in, in uh, injecting some personality and then, and then playing the parts on the records. And, you know, I did get asked to tone and tone down a couple of things. <laughs> No, you know, like, like I, I, you know, these guys feel like they, they want to hear the record. You know? Right, right. Yeah. So I, the same thing happened with Sting, which I thought was bizarre, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, we, I, we used to do gigs with Chris Bodie with Sting and, and, you know, so we were playing all the old police classics and, you know, when he was playing the police class, he was like punk rock, just pick and just playing aggressively and stuff. But he's older now. So like, you know, we did, we did a couple, it was like two gigs. And the first one, he didn't say anything. He was just like, yeah, and I was just like doing really like literally his old punk stuff and you know you know that, that kind of ska bass stuff with a pick and stuff like that like because i just i assume that's what he wanted it like and then the second yeah. time yeah I just play this like like every breath you take you know oh wow it went from dun, 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 like those sharp those sharp pointed eighth notes to like dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh wow okay okay i was like well you know that's what he is used to singing to because he's right based on it so like oh okay i got so it so the edge was sort of pulled out from under it a yes. little bit yes. got it it turned into yacht rock it kind of did I mean, yeah. but you know the guy's probably well into his 60s if not 70s and it's like you no know. he's amazing he's amazing you know what though one of the um things about sting is being able to play those parts and sing those um melodies and the way he's he's playing off of the vocals i could i i can't do it i've tried to do it i can't do it at all mind-boggling how he does yeah. that like like hey. when the world is running down try oh. to play that bass line. <laughs> no way i can't i've tried to do it looking in, at myself in the mirror just to see if that might help so i've tried everything i can't do it yeah or the canary in a coal mine just like the stuff that's all juxtaposed and it's just like wow i mean i don't know how he was able to process that but you know i've been told like i'm, I'm friends you know I, I know him a little bit um but you know like i, I i've worked a lot with like law workman and you know, um, uh, Abel Boyle Jr., who were on tour with him, you know, so right. and they, they told me, you know, because I didn't get to know him that well. I mean, I, it was enough, but but they, you know, he, he's a musician first, and then they were telling me that, like, that's kind of like number one, this thing. So that's that was cool. So, like, you know, I have a lot of respect for that. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, at least his head's there, and it's not like, you know, the showbiz aspect of stuff. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. That's respectable. And, and again, and, you know, that's the artist, that's his thing. So, Whatever he requests, if you want to do the gig, I guess you do it. Yeah, and it came directly from him, so I, you know, 
It's great. I mean, there's other people that are like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, when I was on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, that that happened a few times. Yeah, like Lenny Pickett, he wouldn't tell me directly that I was driving him crazy. Well, I was getting, I was getting, I was getting, um, uh, I was kind of getting it from both sides because like, like I would I would kind of imp- get off the charts and and blow you know there's a lot of that stuff like 60s you know 70, 60s and 70s on R&B you know uh-huh. like Mayfield blah, blah, blah. so like I was kind of doing that and getting off it a little bit and like and Lenny didn't like that and and but he would tell me that the producer said you know the producers want you to read the charts <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious man uh, so do you do a lot of reading I used to yeah I mean, I still can. I just, you know, nobody really needs it anymore. And, and you know, I'm I was not- going to say, how important do you think it is now for players? Unless you're an A-lister in LA, like reading movie scores, you know, which happens occasionally, but still it's like, it's pretty rare. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I just did a session the other day where a guy who plays piano with, um, with Michael Bublé and he didn't have any charts. I thought, and this is a guy who's probably chart centric. He just didn't make any. So this is like, I mean, I think people who write songs are just like, here, go, you know, like, right. I think, even like interpretable, even to the chord changes sometimes. You know, that's, I think that's funny. And mm-hmm. I don't even, I don't even get mad about it anymore. Although, you know, between you know you and I, are, and everybody else listening right now. <laughs> well, no, if you're 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 doing sessions at home, like you know, and and a lot of people don't have enough money sometimes, and blah blah blah, to pay your full rate. But at least you know, okay, cool, I'll take the low money, but please make me a chart to save me time of you know to interpreting this this whole thing. You know what I mean? Got it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Pino Palladino's doesn't really read. Uh, Dennis Chambers doesn't. It's like it's not stopping them from working, really. You know, I mean, it's all about feel and instincts. True, true. That. What's your What's your worst gig and your best gig? You don't have to name any names. Wow, that's a tough one. Worst gig. Uh I mean, technically, I had some bad gigs. Like, like the night, the night that David Bowie came to see us at the Fifty Five Bar in New York. Like, it was one of those nights where just like, I brought the wrong bait. I brought like my EB two, and it's was, it was like it's too boomy. And I was running, I was running into all my sub things, and it was a Mark based cabinet. And it was, I was just like nuclear bombing it. It couldn't handle it. <laughs> And then, oh, man. Yeah, and, and so and 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 also in that same gig, like you know, the Fifty Five Bar is notoriously a little junky. Just like you know, so so what my power strip plugged into the wall kept coming out. So like, oh, I, no, yeah, it was a disaster. So like, <laughs> that wasn't a, a good night for me. But this <laughs> waiter from, you know, from hiring us. But but it was just like, wow, this is Murphy's Law. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. that sucks. Yeah, I've had those where uh, I've accidentally stepped on the tuner or forgot to step on the tuner to turn it off, and you know, stood up in front of the world like a rock star should. And slammed, you know, a drop D for the big down, and nothing comes out. Yeah, that was awesome. Sometimes the Tedeschi trucks. Oh, really? Derek would turn on, what the? You know, like, he'd be all mad, and then he'd realize, and then he'd just say, oh, I'm just kidding with you. What about your best gig? What's your best gig? Well, I mean, one, you know, obviously, there's a few that. Uh, probably like one of the Wayne Krantz nights at the 55 bar or any place we were on the road. A few of those stand out. Um, uh, I think like a, a one Brian Adams gig we did it. Uh, where the fuck was it? Oh yeah, San Antonio. It was a great one. Okay. What was so good about it? What made it the best? It was like, a, like we were sort of like mid-tour or something. So it was just getting loose and things were good and, and – uh, you know, the bass sounded good in the house and sounded good in my ears and stuff. So it was like, it's one of those nights and I didn't make any mistakes. So it was good <laughs> or not many anyway. Uh, <laughs> Never admit it. Just say I meant to do that. And then also like a, one night, which I, I was shocked by Like I, I never thought when we, when Tedeschi trucks played, um, like the more like the bigger venues, like, like, like so this is, you know, this is the Holy Triumph there's like Red Rocks, Beacon Theater. Yeah. Uh, Chicago theater. Like, like I never felt like we had great gigs at those, those places, but we did at Chicago theater. We had one and this, this was, this was to me, one of the best gigs we ever did. Um, the sad, the last night at Chicago theater of the Saturday night, it was packed like 3,500, 4,000 people. And just, we just came out guns firing and, and it was just like, you know, it's, it's amazing like to, to do that in front of that many people. It's just like, cause I just think of myself 
on those kind of gigs even i still think of myself as like as in the 55 bar just like in a little corner and i'm just doing my thing like i pretend i'm in a little club and that's it you know right but, uh no that one was like pretty out everybody was playing like we were taking chances with the tunes and it was it was pretty amazing you know like that's, that's when yeah that was the peak of that band that band was that was pretty powerful stuff back then so that, that's the best man that feeling of just it being whether it's right or it's wrong but it feels good is is the best feeling in the world yeah and but then the audience was was, was with us you know like they right. knew like like they when something some kind of jammy thing happened some kind of like cool moment like they were there it was like whoo you know it wasn't like you had to there was no guessing involved they just knew something special was happening and they, they were there you know right there with us it was great how much uh, improvisation do you get to do typically out on gigs? And and I know probably with your projects that you have, you you get to do a lot of it. I mean, it depends on which ones. Like you know, like uh, uh, yeah, the, the the experimental band from Germany is all improv. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. What's the name of that? It's well, it's called Walney. It's it's Michael Walney, Emil Parisian. Christian Lillinger and myself, and it's just okay. basically all improvised, you know. Then awesome. they're all master free players. It's like incredible, like just mind-boggling. That we did a tour in the beginning of July, and it was just like, I have to check that out. Yeah. Is, there, is it available not, anywhere? Or is there music available, or is there? I guess there's a record on Act, which is, which is a, a compilation of four nights we did at uh, this club in, in Berlin. Uh, so that's a lot. It doesn't sound like it because we produced it a little bit, but. Um, uh, there's that. Uh, I mean, a lot of it. And then, and then, you know, like Sadesky Trucks, there was quite a bit of, of jamming, which is not the same thing as improvising to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, you're, you're in a, in a key, you know? Got it. So, so to, what's the difference then? Well, and, and when you're really improvising, it's just like, okay, well now you're starting from ground zero and like, then you can just come up with a cool line that could be atonal. It could be in a key. It's just like, so another, like it's all, everything's a fresh slate. Whereas like a band like Tedeschi Trucks, like you're coming out of a song structure. So like usually you get jamming an A, you know, right. like, gotcha. and, uh, and I always had to like, because it was, it was a big band and everybody spread out and stuff and couldn't hear that necessarily that clearly. Like, cause I came from Wayne Krantz and we were just chopping it up, chopping it up like hard. <laughs> like we could go, all of us could just go, you know, 64 bars without dropping one. We could, and we all knew where one was, but we didn't ever have to play it. But with a band like Tedeschi Trucks, you have to kind of like, dial it back a little bit and, and stay rhythmically kind of kosher for everybody. Cause it's otherwise, you know, it's, it's, the train can come off the tracks pretty easily. Got you. Do you ever feel intimidated by an artist that you're working with? That I'm working with? Uh, yeah. Let me think. Yeah. I was, I was intimidated by Nick cave. I, I came in to do a, what was that? He did a movie soundtrack for this really super violent movie with like Tom Hardy and Shia LaBeouf. I can't remember what it was called. I came in, he wanted me to bow and I suck at bowing on upright. And it's uh, just like all bowing. And it's just like, it was terrible. And I, and I didn't know the Nick Cave music that well. Okay. So like, I, I kind of, I fucked that one up because it did that. <laughs> no, I just, you know, the vibe was wrong. And, you know, I, I saw him once. I saw him at like Bonnaroo a couple of years later and said hi. And it was all good, but still, you know. Did he, he didn't say, bro, you sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I mistaked the song that I thought he wrote that he didn't write. And I was just like, Oh no, you know, just got off the, on a bad foot. So that didn't, so that guy, but he's intimidating and who, who I mean, you know, I'm sure. If, yeah. I mean, there'd be several people who would intimidate me, you know? Um, yeah. I like this to be some bass player. Who, like you ever played in front of somebody who's who you're intimidated by uh, all the time, all the time, <laughs> all the time, man. I, there, one of the reasons why I ask is because, you know, working with so many different artists, how how do you deal with these different emotions that are normal emotions? Um, just because you're a, a bass star still doesn't take away, you know, these normal emotions that you might get where either you're intimidated or you're nervous or, you know, you're not having a good day. Yeah. So, so depending you know, on whether you're out on tour or in a session, how, how do you deal with those emotions as a bass player? And how would you, how would you suggest that young bass players out there trying to get out on tour doing sessions, you know, deal with just the normal everyday emotions? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, what do I do? Like sometimes if I don't feel like it's going right, or I feel like, you know, something's, you know, I just kind of look like, especially live, I'll just look down. I won't look up. I'll just concentrate on what I'm doing. And then just like, you know, Hopefully, 
you know, like that's one way I just escape it. I just kind of try to hide, like make myself as small as possible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, that works. Yeah. Oh, you know, there's, there's an example of this, like, you know, like somebody who was difficult was like, we did a thing with, uh, I did a March for Science gig with John Batiste and like, this is before I started subbing in, in the Colbert brand. I just did a, you know, we knew each other. We were hanging occasionally and, and um, I did some gigs with him in the Stay Human band. But we did this March for Science and Thomas Dolby came and did, you know, she blinded me with science. Wow. And, and, and I was, I was literally playing exactly what was like on the, on, you know, in the, in the tune. And he was saying it was wrong. And I was just like, Oh boy. Uh. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know, man. I, you know, this yeah. Is just, what, how did that conversation go? I just was like, I was like, yeah, sure. And then I just went, and I just, and you just played what, what I, you're playing. Sometimes there's no answer to it. You just have right. to, just do it, you know, it was in the end, it was fine. It didn't bother anybody, but still, it was just like, that's kind of the, the, the weird thing. Yeah. It was like when somebody's like dead wrong and you know, they're wrong. Yeah. Like, that's a hard one. Cause it's just like, well, cause like I follow you on Twitter and uh, by the way, I love, you know, seeing your tweets and everything because you're, you are, you are, um, I guess the proper term might be outspoken. Maybe you speak your mind a lot. So, um, well, certain things. Yeah. Yeah. But do you, does that, are you just that way all the time, even, you know, at work, different jobs and different people, or are you, do you kind of tone it down and, and recognize uh, when it's appropriate yeah, I try to. Okay. Try. It doesn't yeah. always work. As people. Oh, do. I know. I know. I, I feel the same way. <laughs> I try. I, try. <clears throat> I mean, it's just that the whole political climate has really bo been bothering me. That's why I, you know, me too, I man. Sometimes it's like, I just can't, even though you're like, we're all Twitter warriors, but you know, what, what the original intent for Twitter for me was, was this, like, because I was on tour all the time every Sunday. So if you, if you were on Twitter before Trump and all that stuff, like it was the best place to keep track of, NFL football or like pro sports in general. Oh, wow. Okay. Being like people tweeting and stuff like that. So that's really why I was on it. And now, you know, now it's a whole different thing, but you know, like, now, like I, I got so political, like I don't even tell people for the most part, I don't tell people gigs and stuff. Cause it's just like probably you know, safer you, that way. Well, right. Cause like I, I've pissed off enough people <laughs> sort of show up and you know, yeah. My mom always told me don't, don't, uh, talk religion or politics with, uh, with people that you don't know very well. And then what did she do? She spoke about religion and politics all the time, everywhere. So <laughs> I mean, that, and that's part of it too. But the other, the other end of it is just like, I'm not, you know, like on Twitter, nobody thinks I'm anybody. So it's like, it's, I can get away with it. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. You know, like when Jason Isbell talks up, like he's good, you know, like when he, like he's a big one on this yeah. stuff. Yeah. On generally everything. Sure. And, uh, you know, so he he gets slaughtered, and then he also gets a ton of support. So it's right. just, yeah, but he's a, I guess, a way bigger deal. I guess if you're going to speak your mind, that's the place to do it, um, or not. I don't know. Uh, who uh, currently inspires you, and why? Uh, I'm inspired right now by, um, by you know, Stu Brooks, bass player. Oh yeah, yeah. We we've been talking about we're going to do some production stuff together. Like very some, cool. Yeah. So like he knows, he knows a lot about Ableton. Like anybody who knows Ableton like, inspires me, you know? Okay. Um, but just generally good producers inspire me right now. Any uh, bass players? Other yeah. than? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Like uh, France, the, the France, uh, what's his name? Uh, Junior Bergina. The dude oh. from, you know, some of these Instagram guys are just like, whoa. But Junior is actually really heavy. Like that's yeah. one of the best guys I've heard in years. He's fucking insane. Where is he from? Still. I think Sao Paulo. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a cadre of Brazilian shredders, who, but I can also lay it down or funky. And I was just like, this guy's one of them. He's yeah. real. Because, like, you know, like this Hadrian Ferrode, obviously, you know, those kind of guys, they intimidate me. Those, yeah. those, <laughs> you know, you know, it's because like, you know, they say, oh man, I'm such a big fan. Like all the shredder guys. Yeah. I don't understand why, because I'm not a shredder. And so it's like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't make the correlation. Like you'd think like, uh, like a Hadrian Fro be like, yeah, Matt Garrison or Yannick Rizzola. Like, you know, because those guys are incredible. And to the point where it's daunting, it really is daunting to me. I'm just like, whoa. Because um, they're so good. And it's just like, so why? Maybe because I'm original or something. I don't know. Yeah, well, but that's, I, yeah I think that is uh, for sure. I mean, obviously, you're a great player and you're knowledgeable, but you, you, you have an identity in your bass playing. And, and a lot of times, um, 
as far as bass goes, that gets lost. So um, kudos to you on that. And yourself also. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, dude, let's talk. Let's go way back. Let's let's. Uh, how did you start? Uh, seventh grade. I was, I was like, a, I was like, seven, uh, just because like in fourth or fifth grade, like, you, you know, they make you start band practice. So I was, I was playing saxophone. And, uh, but I think like one of those Christmases, my, my sister got an acoustic guitar for Christmas and, and I just kind of was snagging it from her and just, and, but I wasn't playing chords. I was just playing single notes. And my dad was a, a, a middle school music teacher and he, uh, he's like, you're a bass player, you know? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Cleared me a bass player and I was off to the races and you know. Well, you, you obeyed your father. I did. I did. To I mean, the fullest. <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> Good guess on his part. Yeah. <laughs> so from there, um, uh, were you taking lessons, I guess, from, from your dad or for, from different people or you just start playing on your own or? Yeah, it was kind of, a lot of it. Some of it was self-taught, like quite a bit of it was self-taught. You know, I took some initial lessons just to get my fingers together. Yeah. Like, a couple towns over from me uh, in Massachusetts. And then after that, I never took another lesson again. So I took some upright lessons from various people. Like I took from this guy in Boston named Dave Hollander. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. But then, but then when I got to New York and I was like, I kind of get my ass kicked by all these young guys. And I was just like, so like I, I had like Linda O over to take a, just, you know, it's not even so much about like, you know, Oh, well, here's just the proper way. It's just watching people who fundamentally are good on upright bass. It's like, it's like, that's, Kind of a lesson in itself yeah watching guys play that well is, is uh it's a thing so that's, my that's, yeah it's not that's, that's always more of a study than electric bass to me i mean <clears throat> you could always get better at stuff but but like really fundamentally upright bass is a lifetime of, of getting it together absolutely and i i have no clue about it i've attempted a few times because my grandfather played upright but oh. uh yeah i haven't i haven't uh taken that dive yet Yet. Um, so from, from, uh, let's see, from where you started, was there somebody, was there a bass player that you saw that you were like, Oh my God, like, that's what I want to do. That's, you know, who are you, who inspired you as a bass player? Was there someone in particular? Yeah, there was a couple guys, you know, like I, I was, I started doing cruise ships after college. Like I was kind of on the fence between getting a day gig and so I wound up going on, on cruise ships. Like there was a couple people like, you know, like I kind of dug deep and like, I got, I got into a chili peppers, uh, kick for a while. Uh, me, me too. Yeah. I saw, I, I, I had always loved uh, Jocko Pistorius word of mouth, but then I started really getting into the first record, the first solo record. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, cause there's a lot of stuff on that. It's just like, uh, yeah. and then about the same time, like his DCI video came out, which I thought really, that technically like showed me some stuff that I thought was really important. And I, and I practiced, I still practice some of it, you know, I have that still. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's obviously looking pretty rough, but like just the fundamental stuff on the bass is crazy. Yeah. You know? It's was just command there... and the sound of it. It's just like all, you know, and I practiced a lot without an amp too. So like that was kind of me too. Yeah. Uh, was there somebody before that? Like even when your dad said, look, you're a bass player. Was there, did you, were there bass players in the music that you listened to that really just got your attention? Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously that age, like you know, the young teens, it's like Russian Van Halen, right? Ah, uh, yeah, it's unavoidable. So I got <laughs> way into Russian, way into Van Halen. Um, so I kind of learned a lot of that stuff, like as much as I could learn from Rush without, you know, like I didn't. I was just kind of guessing on Rush sometimes because you couldn't hear it, like you know, some of that stuff's also very hard. Like yeah. But it was like, a, I know I'm probably a little older than you, but like it was a big, big badge of honor if you could play YYZ. Right. Oh, yeah. No, I, I practice that every day. I, I probably still don't play it right. But I remember being in uh, junior high school, just rocking that with one of my buddies who was a drummer. Yeah. Uh, oh, what's that? I, I've been playing. I just got back into, uh, um, oh, so let me look it up. Um, limelight. Oh, yeah. Song is like wow, it's so cool that song. Yeah, like, there's just enough tricky stuff to. It's fucking cool. Yeah, some of the some of the later Rush stuff was actually good too. Subdivisions is a great song. You know, absolutely. Uh, I was just into it all, and luckily, you know, I actually I got I got to meet Eddie once. This is post the Brian Adams tour I was on, but but he invited me to the show at the Greek, and I went to the Greek backstage, and we we're hanging, and, and uh, lo and behold, Eddie Van Halen walks in. Wow. 
what? You know, because that's like real hero worship. You know, like nobody can really touch that on guitar as far as I'm concerned. Oh, you know? yeah. No, I I have an Eddie story too. When I was a little kid, so I did that Don Henley Boys of Summer video when I was a little kid. Oh, you did? Yeah. So, um, I got to go to the uh, MTV Music Video Awards, and you know I'm probably I guess I was eight years old or something, and I'm sitting there. I don't know what's going on. There's rock stars and movie stars sitting all around me, and Don Henley sitting right next to me, and um, this little kid or this somebody taps me on my shoulder and I look back and it's Eddie Van Halen and he hands me a pick. He's all, you're a real rock star. And I was like, Oh my God, that's Eddie Van Halen. And, uh, I just, I thought that was, I'll always remember that. And that was, so that's my Eddie story. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I heard, I heard he wasn't so nice to people, but like, man, he was totally like, I asked him like you had one of Brian Adams's or or Keith Scott's guitars backstage, and you know he just picked up this acoustic guitar. It's like, it's like, could you tap me out, uh, um, Mean Streets? And he did. Like, oh wow, was a machine. I mean, just tapping it out on acoustic guitar, which can't be easy. So, <laughs> wow, damn, that is awesome. I know. So so let's uh, fast forward a little bit. Um, finding your own voice, like we sort of touched on. A little bit earlier how important was it for you to actually create your own voice and it how was, useful how useful do you think it is for you as a bass player today uh it's useful today but in, initially no I, I wasn't even going for that um I was how, just did, trying, how, how, did, how did it evolve just naturally well i was playing with wayne Krantz a lot back then so that's kind of a gift and a curse at the same time because I, I was like it's not it's very small curse just because because I was playing with Wayne, like he, he, one of the first things, because I was young and impressionable and he knew it. And so he was just like, uh, you know, don't play anything devicey, don't play anything. So, so in other words, like, like that ruled out any James Jamerson, any like, you know, any kind of old Alfonso Johnson, like that. Cause I would sort of start quoting stuff sometimes just cause I was, we were playing forever in the key of G or something like that. So I started playing, you know, I started <laughs> just cause I ran out of ideas and he says, just stick to it, play original stuff. Right. So then, right. Uh, but then I got onto a big like Victor Bailey, Daryl Jones, Marcus Miller kick. So like then you know, I got I derived a lot of stuff like the where I came from from those guys and Jocko too. Um, but more Jocko's like 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 I noticed that, like that people didn't want to want to really hear that sound on the stuff I was doing like that back pickup jazz bass stuff. Yeah, it is kind of mentally. Um, it does give you like a certain thing that the people either like or don't like so i kind of avoided it but but what the what i got from jocko more than anything else was the bravery it's just like i'm just going to drop this weird thing here and 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 and, and you just see how it changes the landscape and it always does like he, that guy was super effective at it and so you know that that's kind of like i kind of got some stuff from that and then um uh and by by you know the victor daryl Marcus Miller thing, just like kind of just, I the, the, the truth is is like you know I would directly quote some Daryl Jones stuff from like you know Bring on the Night or Decoy or you know like whatever it was and and Daryl knows this I've blown so much smoke up Daryl <laughs> <laughs> he's awesome oh he's one of my heroes so like yeah. um, but people would tell I was just like yeah I was just playing some Daryl Jones stuff there and they go they wouldn't know they wouldn't even know like they'd just be like oh it just sounds like you and it's just like oh okay. It's like, right. no matter what you're trying to do, it comes out through your own filter. I mean, so like your own voice is coming through no matter what. And I, but I honestly was not trying for that, you know? Right. Uh, well, I think, so what I'm hearing is basically just not being afraid to experiment. Yeah. Okay. But I was lucky enough in a situation where I, where I had to, you know what I mean? Like it was the trio. It was like me and Keith Carlock and, and Wayne Krantz. And it's just like, all it was was experimenting. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> You know, well, in a very organized way, it's like, you know, eight bar phrases and you'd be in a key and then, you'd, you know, he'd cue parts of tunes and, you know, it was just like this kind of thing that was like section and stuff. So like, I, I can always, within those kind of confines, I can, I can, confines is the wrong word, but, you know, like there's this stuff, you know, anyway, so it's like doing so many of those gigs, that's what, that's kind of was just like, okay, I came out of that, that gig for how many years, I don't even know how, how many years I was doing it, but, you know, with a, with a pretty massive toolbox of groove ideas and just stuff and pedal know-how and you know i mean if i had to say i had a teacher it would be Krantz. okay know? awesome well let's talk about gear because yeah. i know you like gear dude i saw you doing that uh little demo thing for the specter yeah um which base is that again ns2 
but it's got a maple neck. I, I basically like, I just, I shot some videos for them. So they, they were nice enough to, to send me a base and I was just, they, they were making it from scratch. So I was like, okay, make it a maple neck, you know? Cause I think the one that sting was like, it was inspired by sting. And I, and I know, uh, what's his name? Place one too. Uh, Doug Wimbish, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was really inspired by synchronicity tour, you know, sting. So I just wanted to have that base for that. And, uh, so, yeah, he uh, they made me that bass, and it's beautiful. And like, it's the only difference is it's got a maple neck. So yeah. it's, it's got that has H A Z. Oh, brand, okay. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. What? Um, yeah. I mean, the little that I heard you playing on it, it sounded awesome. I mean, it yeah. sounded like there's a wide variety of tone on it. There is tons. Yeah. Cool. What is your go to? Uh. I mean, if I if I have a session now, like like basically, I know like I have a sixty three P that workhorse. Yeah, but I'm willing to fly with it too. It's like fine, you know, like that. That's like because I know people like love vintage and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, so it's it, it's very it's pretty relatively uncomfortable to play. However, it's uh, it's great. It's great sounding bass, and it always works. But my favorite bass is my Mulan P. Um, oh, okay. I've I haven't heard of, I haven't heard of those. Mulan, yeah, he's South yeah. Korean. He's a, um, he's a luthier from there. I got one of the like really original, like first kind of production runs of them. So it's like a little heavier. The pickups are a little more turbo. It's just like, this is my favorite. What could you compare it to? Is it more like a jazz bass, P bass? That's P bass. It's definitely okay. P bass. Okay, cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's been super inspiring and it's, you know, it's wound up on a lot of, it's on, it's on Black Star. It's just incredible bass. It's, awesome. the best bass. it's the best bass I've ever played. Really? I'll have to check one of those out. That's very cool. Uh, what about strings? Uh, Donald Dumb Knops. Um, you know, like the nickel, uh, the nickel round ones. Is that what they're called? Uh, I never yeah. get that technical. <laughs> nickel round, yeah. Well, I, I, on the, probably one of the problems of why it's so hard to play is I, I have 50 to one tens on it. So like if, oh, wow. if, I'm, if I'm playing uh, round ones, I tend to like the big, big fat ones just because like gets a bigger sound. Yeah, I actually dig thicker strings as well. I used to use that those same gauges. Uh, I went back down to um, 45s, but I might go back up. Yeah, I just, I, I just, I like how they sound. Like, but, but they are more difficult to play because, like, a bunch of my other basses now have 45 to 105s. So it's like, you know, oh, this is really easy to play, and <laughs> you go back to that, so it's like, yeah, brutal. Yeah, Plus, right. 63 also has a wider neck at the bottom, so it's like, you know, it's got its challenges physically. But it's a beautiful sounding bass. And then the Mulan, the Mulan's awful, is thin, but I also have 50 to 110s on that too, so. Are you using uh, uh, flat wounds ever? Yeah, tons. Like, like on, on just about every bass I have, I got the Dunlop flats, which are awesome actually. Because, you know, the, many people, you know, like they, everybody's got their, their flat wounds, like, you know, I don't like this and I like that. And like everybody's like, like but, uh, but Dunlop to me, because uh, like, Daryl Andrews, like, you know, I, I started kind of beta testing them for them back in the day. Uh, basically, it's got all the, it's like they're bouncy like round wands, but then they sound 100% like flat wands. You yeah. know what I mean? So uh, like, actually, Daryl just sent me a couple sets so that I, I'm uh, I'm putting on the bases, so I can't wait to use yeah, they're, them. They're really, really good. Like, really good. I, I You know, when someone's making me a base, you know, like they always ask me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, that's... What happens is we're kind of, you know, they, when you're buying or, or someone's making a bass, what kind of strings do you want on it? And I was just like, oh, it's Dunlop flats usually. Or, or rounds, you know, d- you know it depends right. on what the, what the bass is. Um, I got one coming from uh, Malaysia now from, from Mauricio basses. Like it's, oh. a, it's kind of a short scale five. I'm, I'm excited about it. Just to, I, I've got a bunch of short scale fives, or I have two of them anyway. I have the, the Seric Midwestern, which is... Oh, yeah. Crazy. Those are great basses. So great. It took yeah. a second. We had to get the B string tuned up right, but it's okay. amazing. And then the Cal- the the OG one is the Callow Hill OBS five, which is nice. really super. like like the the reason why I, I like that bass so much is like anytime I record with it, it just sits in a track like it's it's. I think it's a short scale five thing because the sounds are sort of similar. It's like you know it's got this crunchy low end to it that's like way different than than any Fendery kind of vibe, you know. So you prefer short uh, rather than full scale. I have no preference. I just, you know, like, like again, like it's like if you're, if I'm allowed to experiment with like the sound of basses and stuff like that, then yeah. then sure, I'll I'll go, you know, like I I have a Wilcock bass that that, that that I I've used on a bunch of recordings that actually sounds like a hollow body. It's not. It's the Wilcock Malarkey. Oh wow, Ma- <laughs> Malarkey. I haven't heard. I have not heard that word in a while. Actually, yeah. never never to uh, name a bass, but 
Yeah. Well, it's because it's a dude. It's Robin Malarkey. He's a, he's a London ah. based. Yeah. He plays with Jacob Collier. Super oh, right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. But it's his signature model, but, but it's really hollow body ish. So it's, it's fun. Um, uh, but yeah, that's, that's another one with flat ones on it, you know? So. I dig it. I dig it. What about effects? Cause I know you use, uh, a lot of effects. It's kind of like, you know, like, like sometimes I go back, but like, to me, it's always like the latest and greatest. Um, but you know, like I always have a go-to's like I have my own signature octave pedal with, with three leaf audio. It's called okay, the cool. Octave A O C T A B V R E, which is Aaron Lies the joke. And <laughs> the, like, he's on like the fourth iteration of it now. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. It's cool. That's, How did that, that come about? He's just a fan and like, he's more than a fan. He's a genius, but, but like he, he used to watch me play at the 55 bar or whatever. And I would, cause he went to Berkeley or something. So he'd come to some gigs and when I had an OC two, like if I wanted to just get the sub sound, I have to bend over and change it. And he was like bright enough to, to say like, well, why don't I just make that on a switch? So like there's a sub switch, there's a solo sub switch on it. So like in the, in the first run. So yeah, it's, it's incredible. Like I, I love that pedal so much. And it, you know, it, it does, does a Mutron octave and an OC two vibe. So it's cool. Oh, and awesome. Then, yeah. Um, I mean, I love the carbon copy, copy delays. Yeah. Uh, those are Me great. Too. Me the, too. The carbon copy bright is really, really good. It's great in the studio. Uh, I got the phase 90 recently. That's classic. It's a great one. Oh yeah. Um, How do you feel about phasers? Uh, what do you, what do you like to throw it on? Well, I, I had to use it. I, I, I subbed in on one gig on St. Vincent and one of the songs oh, was cool. like, yeah, it was one of these songs was like very Steely Danny, like, you know, that kind of era. And Jack Antonoff used a phase shifter on it. So I used, a, actually used a make sounds loudly on that one. Uh, which is a guy from Oregon. He's kind of a, a boutique builder. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, there's a whole bunch of, I, I just got a sans amp again, which is kind of nice. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, the, the one with the little, the blue knobs in the middle, like the, the original one. It's so great. It's a good one. Very cool. You like? Uh, are you a fan of um, overdrive or fuzz? I'm more of an overdrive guy because I, you know, I like. Uh, I'm, I'm even though I don't play it very well or very convincingly, I'm a big Mashuga fan. So like oh, that kind yeah. of sounds like you know, that's that's definitely overdrive. It's not fuzz, um, but fuzz has its purpose. You know, like fuzz. Fuzz. I always the problem with fuzz is that it squashes your sound sometimes. Like if you're playing, the more hard you play into it, the more it makes the sound tiny. Yeah, you can see that actually on the um, the wave files when you're recording it as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends on which ones. I mean, uh, Dunlop makes a bunch of good ones. Uh, way, I mean, way huge too. Um, yeah. Let's see. Oh yeah, and this is good too. The, the thump was always that was a nice addition to the collection. I love that pedal. It's great. Um, but yeah, I mean that. I'm I'm used to you know it's a bunch of then I bought a bunch of boutique stuff. Uh, I, my favorite, the thing I've hottest on right now is the uh, the hologram electronics microcosm, which is I haven't a, I haven't heard of that. What does it do? Yeah, actually, I have it right here. It's uh basically it's like a it's multi. It's it's like it's like it's got arpeggio and sequencer on it. Like it's almost like a synth, and it's got you know which you can MIDI into your DAW, so it times everything to your click. Oh so wow! You play a note, and then it'll it'll arpeggiate it out, like in time with the track, which is just the sickest thing. <laughs> How often do you get to use something like that? Well, it depends. I mean, as a producer, quite a bit. As a bass player, pretty rarely, you know. Yeah. But it's a, <laughs> you know, I, but like the, the stuff like that. And then like, uh, I always use the Red Panda Lab Tensor a lot because it's, it's super cool to make weird little, I mean, you know, because like my brain is cut into two, is sliced into two things right now. It's like either producer mode or, I mean, and, and, and bass, playing bass, you know what I mean? So. Right. Right. It's kind of like, I, I like to get pedals I can use pretty effectively on both. So, Very, Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, what about an amp? Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, if I'm going back on the road, which is always a mystery, uh, I, I have an <laughs> Especially now. Yeah, I know. I have a 70s SVT, which I love. Um, but, uh, but I've recently like got hooked up with Dark Glass, too. So like I, I have oh, the cool. Alpha Omega 500, which is insane and, and a couple of the cabinets i have a cinnaboss cabinet like a 212 that's great um the cabs are good too huh yeah, the no that's the cinnaboss that's a, that's somebody else from north carolina oh, oh 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 um at first i thought you said cinnabon on your cabinet i was like oh <laughs> <laughs> I, I that's the fat kid in me talking i love some cinnabon 
who doesn't? That's an airport, you know. Yeah, five, staple, airport. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, like, uh, and it's, I've always been like sort of, you know, I don't have any Ampeg cabinets or anything. Like, I'm officially with Ampeg, but but I've been messing around with dark glass, which are okay. really cool. Uh, I'm kind of into twelves right now too. So like, they have they have a two twelve cabinet that's great. Cinebus has the has the uh, the two twelve cabinet that's great. You know, that's awesome, man. I mean, it, you definitely have a lot of tools. Uh, in your belt for all the stuff that you do as a producer um do you think that being a bass player has helped you uh yeah i think i mean i don't know i just always kind of saw things like, like if i was in a recording session or something like just i was always like even though i'd have to shut it down sometimes it's just like you know like how can i make this whole thing better you know what i mean instead of just the bass part and sometimes it's just not your place or it's not no matter what you say it's not going to change anything right so right but, yeah. but I always think that way. I always think, well, oh, this would be cool to have this, you know, uh, this idea here and that, you know. So, I mean, my, my wife's record just came out today. I, I, I produced that. Congratulations. That, yeah, what, good. it came out good. Um, so that uh, was... Tell everybody what it is so they can go out and get it. Yeah, it's called Rachel Eckroth, The Garden. Um, Rachel Eckroth is the artist. The Garden is the record. Um, yeah, so that's... Uh, that was cool. That was like, you know, we recorded Sonic Ranch. You know, a lot of it's sometimes... It's, if you don't have much help, it's a little more tricky to get a record like done from start to finish. But but basically, you know, I had a lot of help, so it was good. Jason Kingsland mixed it, my friend from Georgia. He's an awesome mixer, like one of the best I know. Um, that must have been a very cool experience uh, working with your wife on a record. Most of the time it is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> your wife is like, it's, it has its challenges, obviously, but because she's got an ego too. You know what I mean? It's not like just like, I'm Tim Lefebvre and I can tell you what to do because she's right. not like, it's like fuck you, I'm gonna do my own thing, which is great for her because she's she's an amazing artist in her own right. I mean, she's out with St. Vincent now. Oh, cool, cool. I mean, she's she's definitely strong. So very cool. That's awesome, man. So let's uh, move on to. Uh, you think you've learned anything about yourself this last year and a half during the the pandemic, and and how have you survived, really? Uh, I've learned a lot about myself. I, I realized that like being on tour is not such a big deal to me. Like, you know, uh, as long as I could sort of like I, Tucson is like in, inexpensive enough where I can sort of make a lot more healthy choices these days. You know what I mean? It's just like, um, I don't have to get on a plane and go on tour to make the rent here. You know what I mean? Somehow it's always been happening. I just go without, without tapping into savings, you know? I mean, I just, can't, I can't like be loose and free with money. Like as if I was on tour, you know, you know, that feeling is the best feeling in the world. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. I love those $300 pair of sneakers. You know? <laughs> Mall days on tour. Yeah. And then, you know, just like picking up like this, this was a, uh, I don't know when this was, this is, this is uh probably Colbert show money. You know, like, it's like, cause these are like 500 that, bucks. Yeah. So people that can't see what we're referring to at the moment, what were you just holding up? I was holding up the, the hologram electronics microcosm. This Got you. Yeah. I mean, it's pricey, like like especially boutique pedals are pricey. So like you know, it's good to have money laying around. To, I mean, right now I'm I'm sort of bought a. I picked the wrong time to do it, but I'm trying to flip a few things. Like I just picked up a TR seven hundred seven and stuff like that. But that market sort of dried up. It seems right now, so it's it's tricky. Got you. Yeah. So so aside from um, figuring out that maybe you don't have to be on tour, what else have you learned? Uh. I learned a lot, learned a lot of gear stuff, like a lot of like production little things. Like I'm trying to learn some drum machines and, you know, stuff like I don't never read manuals. So now I'm trying to read manuals. And <laughs> I don't either, man. My patience just, I just don't have it. I just want it to work. All right. This is what I want right now. Let's go. Well, right. There's, I mean, there's, but there's definitely a couple of pedals I got. Like I got this Montreal assembly count to five, like, which there is a manual available online, but I just sort of like plugged it in and started like these, some of these pedals do require <laughs> some like looking at the manuals. Yeah. Um, so I've learned, learned a bunch of gear stuff, learned some production stuff. Uh, is that how you've been staying busy? Yeah. Well, we also had a Patreon page, but that's oh, also, cool. also is production in this, in another sense is like, you know, like, cause you're pissing out videos. Like I record the audio just like we're doing here. Like I record the audio and my wife would video and then she'd, you know, I'd mix the audio. Like, so that was a whole thing like getting my mixing better as we went along. Uh, and then, uh, then she would put the, then she would make the videos like out, out of the mix I would make. And, you know, it was a lot of work. So the Patreon, like, well, we had enough people where we, it was paying the rent and the bills. So. Got you. 
but it was, it was time consuming. So you didn't really have time to be super creative. So um, you were making, making a little bit of dough though, right? Surviving, getting through. It's like at, at first when, you know, March of 2020 hit, it was just like, Jesus, all right, now we got to, <laughs> it was a pretty scary time, right? Because I, oh, like- 100%, man. I had a whole year scheduled of work and just one day to the next, it just all went away. Yeah. And I've been on tour almost nonstop since I was 18 or 19 years old. So right. it was a huge adjustment and change and scary time for me. But yeah. I did take advantage of a bunch of things. I got to spend time with my kids and my wife, which I haven't had a chance to do in so long. So we built this oh, amazing right. <laughs> <laughs> wife and kids. Who needs that? Oh. Uh, <laughs> but um, man, I've gotten to know them um so well I feel like I knew them but spending that quality time with them is uh, it's the best yeah there's a thing about it like where you know you're forced to be home and you have to be present and it's like okay so like you know my career isn't everything right it's just sort of like that's kind of what I learned. I was just like, all right, cool. Like I, I went out and got a cat, you know, like adopted a cat. It's just like, it's cool to just have something to love besides your own stupid egotistical self. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It's all about the love, man. It is. And, and you know, like, and just like figuring out that like, man, I think I'd rather make records for a while. You know, until, I mean, I was supposed to be on a gig. I had a year and a half booked with Black Crows. Oh, wow. I ended up walking away, but, but, um, it was not because of anything Chris and Rich did. They were great. Um, yeah. it just was one of those business things. Gotcha. But, yeah. But just, um, so, so I don't even know what was I going to say? Uh, just like, just like the whole period is just like, okay, well, there's a lot to learn, you know, like, yeah. Like a lot of people like who have kids and like, like we're office workers and stuff like that. That must've been brutal. But like for us, it was nice to be home. Yeah, definitely. I mean, e- definitely a time for self-reflection and and reflecting on you know what can you do what happens the next time this happens and I mean what other career choices do you think would be good for bass players Hmm. I I kind of like figured like you know I got a college degree and all that crap but but I I I know me it's just like you know the thing that gave me the most joy when I wasn't you know like going out and chopping wood or like you know like I, I live on a big piece of property it's my landlord's it's not mine but I live here. And so like, sometimes it's fun to just go take care of the property. Go chop down like this, this is stuff that grows on mesquite trees called mistletoe. That's really bad for the trees. Like get up a ladder and cutting it down. And like the Christmas mistletoe, like the thing. It's, you- it's like a parasitical, it's like a parasite. Oh, okay. okay. So like, you know, just doing stuff like that. And like, you know, like I, um, we're also near a national park. So like, you know, just the, the, the whole nature thing out here is really intense. It's like, you know, so it's, it's kind of like just like that kind of stuff, like just being outdoors and being physical. And like that, that's what I would end up doing. I think more than uh, more than like a, a white collar job. Although I was, I was also thinking, you know, because, you know, the truth is, is like, you know, a couple brands, not 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 a lot, but enough of them. I put a couple brands on the map here in the States. So like I could also go to work for a, a company that was looking for yeah. somebody. I, that thought crossed my mind. That'd be you pretty know. cool, too. I agree. Yeah, I, I could see doing that. Like, you know, because like. Like interfacing with people is fun, you know, like like other musicians and stuff. Um, you know, I'm sure I could sell some stuff for, for some people. I just, you know. <laughs> I agree with you. I, I think you could I'm too, man. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, I appreciate you uh, doing this and, and spending time with us. And um, do you have any uh, final advice for young players? Well, the game is harder than it's ever been, right? So like, I don't know. I would say just kind of hang in there and... and if there's chances to say yes to absolutely everything, then say yes to everything. I mean, that's what I used to do. And that's, you know, I used to do it out of kind of low self-esteem more than anything, but it's important. I think it's important because, because getting, putting more on your plate than you can handle sometimes is really healthy actually. So, you know, like taking gigs, the music is challenging and blah, blah, blah. Which I, I don't do as much these days, but you know, it's as a young, young player, like I noticed like a lot of these young guys are just like, they're so self-assured. It's just like, I don't need to do that. And it's like, it's not going to, I like what I do. And, and I guess, you know, it's like that empowerment thing of the, that everybody's going through and all that stuff. However, you know, from a veteran to a rookie, it's like, you know, if there's any ever going to be a sideband business again, which there seems to be a little bit left, you know what I mean? It's like, then, then you have to kind of do those. You have to do things. You have to say yes to everything for a while. You know, there's a period where it's important to do that. 
So that is excellent advice. I agree with you 100%. Just hang in the game, you know? Yeah, man. Well, dude, again, I appreciate you. Uh, Social media, uh, where can people find you and follow you? Uh, Instagram, at T-I-M-L-E-F-E-V. It's like a shortened version of my last name. Uh, I have a Facebook fan page and uh, probably don't follow me on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I I get a kick out of it, so it's cool. Well, the thing is, is like, you know, barring any more disasters, like it's football season coming up, so you can feel welcome to follow me on Twitter. (laughs) That's right. You're the man. We got to hang out, man. We got to hang out We definitely will. For sure. All right, everybody. That is our show for today. Thank you again for joining us, Tim. Stay healthy and kind, friends. Spread love, good vibes, and inspiration. And remember, you got this. Just follow your path and play. I'm Josh Paul. I hope to see you out there sometime soon. And uh, thank you to Dunlop for making this show possible. And uh, go get, go check out Bass Freaks wherever you get your podcasts. I appreciate you all and cheers. Cheers.